Hi everyone, welcome back to Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt. I am a cis white gay man, a Chicago resident, but more importantly than all of that, I have the opportunity to sit down with various experts across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining me today is Dr. Paviel Foster. Doctor, thank you so much for coming. Um, would you mind introducing yourself, how you like to be referred to, Dr. Javier, however, uh, you're all here at Howard Brown in your pronouns, please. Absolutely. So I am Dr. P. I go by she, her, everything, respectful pronouns, and I'm the chief program officer here at Howard Brown. Gotcha. Uh, Dr. P, I was going to say, that's how we we know you around here, but just <laughs> clarifications for the, for the people listening. So um, chief program officer, what yes. goes into that? Uh, a lot and <laughs> much that I am still learning, gotcha. um, but so much goes into it. I would say a big bulk of it is providing oversight, supervision, support, um, and kind of guidance to all of our um, programs that are within our clinics. Um, so all of our social service programs, all of our public health programs, and all of our youth programming through BYC. Gotcha. So that's a, a long list sure um, is <laughs> that i it strikes me and this is something i learned really quickly mm-hmm. through the podcast i've only been here about a year and some months um but the the range and and um depth of programs that we offer here at howard brown is really striking yes. and kind of unique for yeah. a healthcare center not oh, only absolutely. is it like we'll treat that but we'll also make sure you can continue to be treated mm-hmm. and it's all those Social determinants of health, which is a buzzword yes. uh, that we like to use here on the podcast. So, what kind of what what led you to this kind of work? I, I always find it interesting. Yeah, Everybody absolutely. has their own reasons for being at Howard Brown, and it's always so you know. So interesting. Uh, thank you for asking that. I, you, it's interesting because I have no idea. <laughs> I really do not know what led me into um, healthcare. What led me into Howard Brown? I can tell you where my passion is. Um, and what I love to do and what has kind of gotten me on this journey. Um, and so I've been working in social services like the last 12 and a half, 13 years. Um, and a bulk of my work has been working with young people experiencing homelessness or at-risk youth. Um, and so I started this journey off pretty early, right out of college. I thought I wanted to be a police officer. And that was a hard no. <laughs> I've been learning like a whole lot of different things just about, you know, the disparities and in, in different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was actually training for the police academy, I was working for a place called Allendale Association. And that was like working with young people hands on who were considered to be high risk and not able to function in quote unquote what they thought main society. Um, and in the midst of that, I fell in love with young people. Like I fell in love working with them, talking to them, hearing from them. And I mean, it was some wild stuff. Like when I <laughs> like hearing certain things, um, it's quite interesting though. Um, and then I, I learned that there were some disparities in um, the therapeutic services. So I actually went back and got my degree in uh, mental health counseling. I was a therapist for a little bit. Uh, but then it was just, it wasn't enough. I needed to have my hands in more things, more pots. Um, and so I ended up um, leaving from Lake County, coming back to Chicago, where I'm from, born and raised on the South side. And um, I started working with young people who were literally on the streets yeah. and experiencing homelessness. 
And my passion for young people really, truly led this journey of giving and serving and giving back. And so learning about BYC, the Broadway Youth Center, is just a continued mission from the work that I was already doing. Now, all of the additional special programs that come with Howard Brown, that was just an additive to add to. But I would say that um, what folks know me for is my passion for youth, my advocacy for young people. And so that is what's really led me, I think, to Howard Brown. And it's just kind of blown up at this point. Yeah, I love that. I, From what I've heard, that's kind of a, a common experience with people that work with young people mm-hmm. in, where you get involved for the first time and you usually know pretty quickly, like, this is yeah. for me or this isn't for me. And yeah. so um, I love that you've been able to channel that passion into yeah. what you do here at Howard Brown, mm-hmm. even if your role isn't exclusively young people, that... That's why I brought you on the show is because the the way that we approach young people and their health mm-hmm. can really help us understand how to meet patients where they're at overall. So yeah. that's kind of what we're here to dive into is how Howard Brown um, treats young people or, yeah. or how we as a community can treat young people, um, both regarding health, social services, all sorts of stuff. So yeah. um, I guess to kind of set the stage, can you give us a little bit of a run through of Really quickly, just the programs we offer to all patients and then more specifically the programs we offer either through BYC um, yeah. or just in general for young people. Now, let's see if I got a really good memory. Okay. We got a lot of programs. You don't uh, have to list them all, but okay. just to give people a range, an idea of the oh, range absolutely. of services we offer. So um, if we just talk about just BYC alone, um, there is a uh, there are several different programs. We have education and employment program. That program is to interrupt poverty so young people don't have to be back into like this level of recidivism and they they can't learn how to sustain their housing. So we teach them how to maintain that by getting helping them with jobs or um, supporting them through school and really, you know, teaching them that area. So we have that program. Um, we have our resource advocacy program, which is now led into really more of a, a wide variety of case management um, and really kind of taking this approach and, try, you know, taking a journey with young people, where they're at, what they're doing, how they're experiencing um in assisting them so that, you know, on their next path, they, they have some level of self-sufficiency. We want young people to not always need us. And so that program in itself really does speak to how we grow permanent connections, how we continue to be support systems, but also how we teach young people how to be self-sufficient on their own. Um, And then we also have our drop-in, which is the literally the beating heart of the BYC. The drop-in is exactly what it sounds like. Young people get to literally drop in and get the support and services that they need. You can't find that anywhere else in Chicago that BYC offers a nice amount of services. You can do your laundry there. You can take your nap there. Um, you can chill. You can watch TV. You can play games. You cannot do nothing at all, right? If you've been traveling on a train all night long and you can actually just go somewhere and just sit, just sit yeah. and quiet, BYC is the place to to do that. In addition to all of the additional integrated programs in, um, we have behavioral health that's present at BYC to support young people. Um, we have uh, just a variety of different services that we do offer. And I mean, the plus is that there is a clinic inside of the actual you know, building. Young people, the first thing that they're not going to think about is their health if they're experiencing homelessness. It's the very basic Maslow needs. Yeah. Shower 
right? I need to eat and I need somewhere to sleep. It's a plus that Howard Brown provides a clinic in that space because now we can teach young people about their health. Um, But we can dive into that in another, you know, (laughs) later question. But so those are a few programs that come out of BYC. Um, and so our healing healing specialists, we don't call them therapists because that can be scary for young people, um, are also present there um, and providing those services. Um, a few other programs we have. We have our diabetes program that are really working across all of our clinics. And we, have, we just had a great episode on that. So plug see? for that episode. Go back a few episodes and listen to that yeah. if you haven't. Yeah, uh, NIES is an amazing manager, yep. really supporting that team um, and pushing that agenda. And and it's a A1 program to really support folks who are coming through Um Howard Brown and needing that additional support. Um, so much more that we are doing in the community that we can do more. Uh, we have all of our Ryan White programs. Um, and so we have Ryan White A, we have Ryan White C, we got Ryan White D, we got <laughs> Linkage to Care. All of these different programs really speak to um, all of our patients who may be living with HIV to give them additional services, right? You talk about social determinants of health. I may come in and I may be experiencing um not having housing and I also don't have food, but I'm also living with HIV and that case manager could really support them on that journey to Mm -hmm. assist them in getting everything that they need. Mm -hmm. Um, And so these are, these are really, really great programs. You talk about public health, we got an outreach team. Um, That outreach team is able to go out, talk to people, communicate to people. These should be the first folks that you see to really pull you into the organization, right? Mm -hmm. It's beyond getting tested. It's beyond knowing your status. It's beyond all of these different things. It's, I need you to have a health home, right? And this is this, these are the folks who are out literally boots to the ground, talking to people um, in in different settings that you wouldn't imagine folks would be in, right? And so that is what I love about the wide variety, right? Just across Cross, um, you know, Howard Brown, our partner services program. Like these are programs that are meant that people talk about and they just don't have. And Howard Brown has them, <laughs> you know, um, how do we stop the spread of syphilis? Partner services are literally on the phone 45 minutes at yeah. a time talking to folks. Like these are things that we, we don't know happen behind the scenes. And there are folks here that are literally doing that every single day. I love that. We've, we also had a partner services podcast episode. So See? I love touching on all these cause I'm, it's bringing up uh, all the other episodes I've done that kind yeah. of touched on these specific programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the phrase that you used health home, uh, yeah. which is a great way uh, to kind of paint that picture of having this um, comprehensive care where, you know, it's not just getting physically treated. There's, you know, emotions, there's um, all those, like I said, social determinants of health that can determine how, um, uh, you know, somebody's yeah. health outcomes. So mm-hmm. um, you, you also said that these type of programs, at least in regards to the Broadway Youth Center programs, aren't uh, something that a lot of people are doing. Yeah, they um, don't, we don't have, I mean, you talk about just the city alone. Um, this isn't the first drop-in that I've been a part of or that I know about. There's, there's a nice amount of drop-in centers. They're not every day. Mm. Their hours are different or they're shorter. 
They don't have space to be able to help young people take a nap. They don't have the space to be able to provide um, any type of therapeutic services. A lot of folks are outsourcing for that. Um, you don't have the type of programs that we offer. There's, they don't have laundry rooms, <laughs> dance uh, studios. These certainly are, <laughs> not. Yeah. Right? So these are things that are additives, but we know that these are things that really support young people long term. You know, some people are just like, what does... Why having a dance studio really support right. young people right now? Oh, trust and believe. It is a way to release whatever folks are carrying, right? This is a level of expression where they can really get out what they may not be able to get out in words. Yeah. Um, and so we create those opportunities for them at BYC. Yeah. I love that you brought up the dance studio because yeah. that was something that was so interesting to me the first time I toured mm-hmm. BYC. And then as I continued to volunteer, um, doing uh, School of Rock there and learning yeah. like, the basics to drumming seems so... To, to people that don't get it, it might seem really extra. Of, like, mm-hmm. why are we putting resources mm-hmm. into this type of programming? Yeah. But once you're there and you experience it, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. To have the freedom to pour time and, and energy into like doing something like music, like yeah. that's... That's uh, a privilege that not everybody gets. So mm-hmm. to make that as an intentional part of programming was so cool to witness. And I love that yeah. we do that. So yeah. that kind of speaks to my next question, which is we offer a lot of programs and services for a wide range of people. Uh, and we, as you know, an organization, we also provide services to a wide range of people. So mm-hmm. how do you cater these programs to fit everybody because like even within the BYC you have people from different backgrounds different you know housing situations struggling with different things and so when you're we're creating programming either for Howard Brown in general or just specifically BYC how do we make sure people aren't overlooked you talk to them you communicate with the community there's no way you can learn what young people want what people want in general without talking to them you have to go back to the source Oftentimes, non-for-profit work um, could seem so high level at times. It's mm. like, oh, we know what, every, what folks need because we, we've heard it on the news or we've seen it. Oh, right. You know, all of these different areas. And so folks start planning. And sometimes we often forget to go back to the very people um, that are experiencing it that are dealing with it. And so that's where you start. The BYC currently right now, they do a community meeting literally every single day. And that's where they learn what young people want. You know, they have a positive youth development model. Everything that we do is led by youth. It's not led by what we think, what we want. Now, we may know some things, but in that, we know that really, honestly, we're learning from the people who need the services. That's why we have surveys. That's why we do certain things so we can understand how do we do things better. Um, what makes the most sense to do, right? You can come up with a whole lot of plans and it'd be so wrong, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And then you're not really meeting the needs of the people who you're serving. And that's a key word that I think sometimes we often forget in non-for-profit work or social services is serving. Mm. We are truly serving communities. And so you have to learn from them first. Yeah, that strikes me of the difference between like giving and serving. Yeah. Uh, Giving seems very or at least 
in my mind can be very like, here, I want you to have this versus serving is I will give this to you because you asked for it. Um, So both are well-intentioned, but Mm -hmm. it strikes me that that, yeah, service aspect of it is, is huge. Um, I love the listening aspect of it, but it strikes me that like, especially the type of youth that BYC is trying to serve Mm -hmm. may not always have, the comfort level to tell you what they want Mm -hmm. or uh, they may not be there in the first place like there are people that could be benefiting from BYC's programs but we haven't they don't know about us or they you know it'd be easy to be like oh let's just you know put up Mm -hmm. uh, a website and then people can just go to the website and tell us and it's like Mm -hmm. well they may not have access to the internet Mm -hmm. so how do we uh, bridge that gap and make sure our communication channels are open for that type that's, of feedback. That's spot on. One of the things that we're working right now at BYC is outreach, youth outreach. You have to meet young people where they're at. Like right? physically meet them where physically they're at. Physically yeah. meet them where they're at. They are at libraries. They're on the train station, you know, on the, on the bus. They're, they, they're everywhere. But we have to literally meet. We can't expect young people to come right. to us. That's hard. Who walks up and say, hey, I'm experiencing homelessness. Could you help me? No. You have to learn the signs. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to understand what you're looking for. Um, and I think it, it the biggest plan right now for BYC is that we're known on the north side. The folks on the south side travel to us, too. But there isn't enough information out there. And outreach is what's really going to get young people to us. They are going to... Um, we have to literally go to them. We yeah. have to go in places that they don't think we're going to go in. It's wintertime now, right? Going to the warming centers. They're all over the city. Yeah. Young people know where the warming center are. We have to go into the schools. We have to talk to, you know, there's 20,000 young people in CPS, Chicago Public Schools, right now experiencing homelessness. Wow. Now, the crazy part about that is you hear that number and you're like, that is, that's drastic. But it, it is how it is defined. Homelessness is not just literally I'm sleeping on the on the on the streets. It is I'm doubled up or stacked up. I don't I sleep on the floor with like yeah. cousins or, you know, or I have like a lot of folks who are saying I don't have my own bed. I don't right. you know, or I'm couch surfing. I'm from this place to that place. Um, and so we have to meet them exactly where they're at. And then that's how we pull folks in. Another big thing is that young people share the news. You do right by a young person. They will tell another young True. person and they'll bring them back. No, yeah. they helped me. They helped me. Yeah. And so they're going to help you too. And yeah. that is the piece that I think is extremely important. Too. Yeah. Also, uh, PSA, if you're hearing voices in the background, that's just the the fun perks of recording uh, wherever we can. So just uh, <laughs> go along with it. But I love... I love that concept of physically meeting young people where they are. And I think that idea for outreach, I love focusing on BYC because all the principles that we talk about in a way translate into our wider patient base. So Mm -hmm. the idea of meeting a patient where they are and getting the word out in that, that idea of outreach does also apply to our larger patient base. Um, But I, and, and this is something I've been thinking about in the work that I've been trying to do with Mm -hmm. like TikTok and Instagram reels and things like you know, it won't reach everybody, but that is where mm-hmm. the kids are to a large degree. So, um, as as we think, I don't know. I I'm not a I'm not a young person. I'm 28. Uh, some people. Oh, you would, are still. Young, I was gonna say some people would still consider that young. Uh, <laughs> I like to think I'm pretty in touch at least. But I I there's a lot of this generation that we're serving at BOAC right now that I'm 
don't know about. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot that's like said either in news or via like anecdotally of people that work with them. And so um, what is, if anything, is different about young people right now and how they approach their health care um, or their personal health? Because you people throw around the words like woke and stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I just get the feeling that this next generation has a, a just very different uh, approach or mindset in regards to their personal health. Am I off base in that? Or oh, no, you're not. I mean, that's in anything though. And it's not just with, with health. True. That's, that's literally with anything they have. I, I, I like to say, because I'm a millennial, I like to say we are, we are the people who like to sit back and strategize everything and like plan it out. And then it has to make sense. And then this needs to be this way. And, and, and once we got it all planned out, then we do. They are not like that. The, this next generation is like, oh, no, we're doing. Then we'll come back on the back end and figure out all that other stuff. Like, nobody got time for that. We're yeah. just going to do. In the midst of when um, when George Floyd was killed um, in 2020, one of the things that I said about young people is we saw their rage. We saw... but. Not only did we just see it in a way where it was like, oh, this is this is radical, but we saw we saw their effort. And that's the thing about young people in this day and age, this generation. They don't have to plan. They've seen enough. They've endured enough to be able to really, truly step in and advocate for themselves. There's a lot of young people that still need the support to walk hand in hand with them, to advocate for them, to teach them. There's a lot of them that's like, I've learned, I've learned just from my environments. I've learned from the communities that I've grown up in how to advocate for myself, how to, you know, do all of those things. And so I think when it comes to healthcare, it is still very scary. I said this like sometime last year, I went to like an event at a new STEM school that had just got built on the, on the South side of Chicago. And um, when they, when they had the school up, there's like, we got this wonderful new clinic and the young people don't go to it. And I said, why would they? Why would they go to a clinic? If yeah. they don't go to this clinic any other time outside of to get a physical, because that's when mom takes them to the doctor, what makes you think that they're educated or that they know about all right. of the services that you're offering? That's not, that is not a necessity to them. So we have to teach them the necessity of their health. And when you think about the young people who are at BYC, they're in low income areas. That's not a necessity to them. If they haven't seen mom or there is no mom, right, and there's trauma involved, health is not their first choice. Right. Going to the dentist is not their first choice. Um, but I think advocating when they learn it and when they get it, oh, it's smooth sailing from there. Yeah. There's nothing you can tell a person after that. Um, and I think you, you only have to teach young people a few times before they get the hang of it. And once they have it, it's full throttle, full yeah. speed ahead after that. Yeah, that makes sense. The like aspect of being a quick learner in that yeah. like once they realize what's important or the consequences of a certain action or behavior, they're like, oh, okay, I got it now. I, but you this know. society, Matt, has pushed them to be that way. Mm. We, we live in a, a society that is built to rip you apart. And so because of that, and and because so many young people like we see at BYC have been in that type of space, they they have no other choice 
but to stand firm in who they are, stand firm for what they believe in and fight for that. That this is this is their life. It's almost as if their life is dependent on it. If, yeah. I, if I don't advocate for me, if I don't advocate for another young person, they are once they got it, they'll bring another young person in and it's like, no, you're going to do this for them too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I love that type of passion. Yeah. It's, uh, we hear and have heard a lot, especially during the pandemic, the concept of like unprecedented times. Yeah. Uh, and it's really <laughs> interesting how the, that both, in regards to the pandemic and, you know, the state of our political system and economic system and everything, mm-hmm. how that is forging our young people and the impact it has on how they think about themselves, mm-hmm. uh, their their long-term health, their short-term health. Because yeah. like you said, like, if everything else seems up in the air, focusing on, you know, a medication that may not have short-term consequences, whether they take it or not, won't, you know... Yeah, that, that's not something they're going to focus on. That's why, yeah. like the the advent of um, injectable prep, thirty day yeah. prep is mm-hmm. huge because you can, you know, mm-hmm. if you can get a patient in the door at least once a month, mm-hmm. they can forget about it for the rest of mm-hmm. that. And so, I and this kind of feeds into my next question because mm-hmm. my next question was what what are the unique challenges that young people present when it comes to kind of meeting with them? But would you say it's that you know, getting getting them that initial knowledge and tools to empower yeah. them is that yeah. is that kind of what our I, our biggest challenges or I would say you know it could be a lot of different things um when we see young people walk through the door they're carrying their lives literally sometimes in backpacks yeah. um and they they're not only carrying their lives they're carrying their trauma they're carrying everything that has gotten them to the point. And we don't know. I, I remember because I get to still go and meet with young people and have lunch with them when they're youth of the month. And that's probably the most prized thing that I get to do yeah. here um, because it brings me back down to my reality. It brings me back down to culture and community. Right. Um, but I remember a young person, we were talking um, and she said, you know, I, we didn't even know there was a Howard Brown or a BYC that existed. Mm. We didn't know that there were programs like this that existed. We have been turning our wheels in this small little town in Wisconsin. And we were like, we got here and it was like, wow, this huge, you know, arena of services offered for queer people. Are yeah, you kidding yeah. me? You know, and like people search for that, but young people yearn for that, uh, a space where they can be themselves, right? And so when they walk through the door, we're seeing what mama has done, what daddy has done, what auntie cousins have done. We've seen what schools have done to them. We've seen what healthcare has done to them. We've seen how they've been mislabeled, how they've been misgendered, how they haven't been supported, how they haven't had a voice. All of these different things show up for young people when they walk through the door, which is why I always remind staff, you are the first face that they see. So no matter what you are experiencing at home in your personal life, when they walk through the door, they need to see a smiling face because we never know what they just came out of, right? And so that is like extremely important. So we see a lot. We see um, really difficult situations. It is crisis work. It is crisis work that will have you spinning. <laughs> yeah. um, 
some things that you probably would never think you would hear from a young person, some things you probably never would imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the staff at BYC is so pertinent to the work that they do. It's so important um, because what they're doing is really trying to reshape, reform, right? It's like, um, you know, when you're uh, modeling clay. Yeah. Right. And you're doing pottery work. That's what's happening at BYC. They're molding. And that takes time. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. yeah. There's that's a, a beautiful way to put that. And and yeah, it strikes me the fact you said, you know, it takes time. Yeah. Which is both intimidating and like uh challenging in a fun way. I feel yeah. like when you think about the opportunity that uh staff at BYC mm-hmm have to to impact young people where you know you will see them for a few hours yeah maybe every day but maybe a couple times a week whatever mm-hmm. uh and so i can see how that really uh drives and impacts the mindset of the people working there of like we have to get you know as much have as much impact on these young people as we can while they're here because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know there's so much work needed over the course of really yeah. anybody's life to to make that kind of positive change that, you know, we may have them for three hours, so let's make the most and truly give them what they need. Yeah. But we, we talk about, you know, the importance of this work mm-hmm. and sometimes to maybe drive the point home, it's worth thinking about what the, uh, consequences of not doing this important work are, yeah. um, which yeah. isn't always so fun to talk about, but like we mm-hmm. kind of have this conversation in different arenas as a nation mm-hmm. in regards to like, uh, mental health uh, in the way it may impact certain um, demographics and the results of that uh, kind of alluding to like the the um, mass shooting yeah. epidemic mm-hmm. we have going on. There mm-hmm. was a lot of discussion about how mental health impacts, you know, yeah. cis, white, straight males and, yeah. and how that feeds into that. So are there not on the same like you know, pigeonholing demographic wise, but what are the consequences of not meeting youth in general um, where they're at, whether it's mental health, physical health, um, how can that, how can instability at this point in their life change everything for Mm -hmm. them going forward? You know, um, back in the sixties, that was like uh, one of the things that Malcolm X stated was like the most disrespect, disrespected, the most, um, you know, kind of, forgotten person in America is really a black woman. And I I look at that and I'm like, I think that really does apply also Mm -hmm. to young people. They are the most forgotten. When you pull all of these different agendas to the table, most times the person who's missing from that is young people. Mm -hmm. We don't pull them to the table. We don't talk to them about all of the different things that they're experiencing right now, what they're going through, how it's happening, all it's, it's like we come to them after the fact. And it's like, no, 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 no. Pull them up to the table. Mm-hmm. Talk to them. Communicate with them. They need to be a part of conversations. They need to be a part of decisions. They need to be a part of all of those things. And oftentimes when we don't include them in, we miss when culture is changing. Mm. When it shifts, we are stuck behind because we have not included the young, the youth voice into that. And then we're trying to catch up. Then we're like, well, we don't understand young people. We don't understand. Well, of course you, you don't. Listening. You never, you didn't listen and you never included them in. Yeah. They are. And we, and I've 
coined this for a little bit. I used to do presentations at a previous job of mine. We used to talk about young people experiencing homelessness being the invisible population mm -hmm. because that is what they are. People forget, like, even if I go into a high school right now and I ask a bunch of 17-year-olds, uh, like, hey, when you hear experiencing homelessness or you think about the word homelessness, who do you see? Oh, old people. Mm. We see veterans, people who've been at war. Like, And I'm like, okay, now, if I told you that the person sitting next to you was experiencing homelessness, would you believe me? And most of them would be like, I know, because look what they got on. So what? You're right. You know, oftentimes we forget the youth voice and then we, we are stuck behind in a lot of different areas. So we have to include them a lot more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other point that crossed my mind is like, not only do they need to be included in those conversations, they're capable of being in those conversations. Yes. A lot of times you hear people that are, you know, in those rooms and making those decisions that like, oh, you know, we want to hear from young people, but you know, you have to take their perspective with a grain of salt because they don't yep. know anything. They, mm -hmm. they don't, you know, they don't have the longevity or the, you know, 2020 vision or hindsight 2020 that we, we have. So mm -hmm. obviously they, we can't yeah. really take their word at face value. Mm -hmm. And so I love the concept of not only including them in the conversation, um, but, you know, listening and, and knowing that what they're saying Absolutely. holds weight yeah. and value and is the best way that we're going to connect with them. So yeah. to kind of think really broadly and, yeah. and in the future, um, how do you see healthcare changing to adapt to this uh, you know, incoming generation of young people, or how would you like to see healthcare change in general? Yeah. Um, to to really make meeting youth a priority and and um, kind of enhance the kind of care that we're giving to them because because yeah. like you said, this is not the norm right now. Yeah. Um. So either mm -hmm. a, how do we advocate for this type of care mm -hmm. uh, elsewhere, or b, um, what more is there to do in yeah. this type of work? I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, and I'll, I'll just give a, a shameless shout out. Um, <laughs> our health educators are doing that work already. They're, they're talking to young people about their health. Mm -hmm. um, and they love to do that. So they're providing that patient education and supporting. Um, and we have a team right now at BYC who does that. They literally meet young people right where they're at. If yeah. they're in a the clinic, they're going to the clinic and talking to them. If they're in the BYC, they're going to the BYC and talking to them. So if folks have questions, they need to know. We have to be ready and available to be able to answer those questions for young people. Um, and that's that has been difficult. It's been very hard, I think, in other settings. I mean, I think about my own journey growing up, not wanting my mom in certain areas, like mm -hmm. about I'm like, okay, like I'm not about to answer this with her present. Thank right. you very much, right? Um, but to have community health workers, I think that is going to be the mission that we're moving forward in healthcare, like this community aspect of like, how do we get more young people to understand their health? Yeah. Why their health is important. Right. Um, and, and we have to, this may be a stretch, Matt, but I'm going to say <laughs> we have to really define healthcare differently for young people. Um, and I say that is because if I say healthcare to a 15, 16 year old and white, when I get a physical, mm -hmm. when I say healthcare, I mean holistically all of you, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes that's missed. We want to we want to redefine what that means for young people. Yeah. And when I say health, I mean your mental health, right? 
I mean, your body. I mean, going to the dentist. I mean, all of the sexual health, all of these different things. Um, I think we can really approach in a different way that's creative, that's supportive, um, and that's helpful for them for their longevity. And we have to talk about longevity because there's so many young people, most of them, what we see at BYC, that don't see longevity in their lives. But when you teach them about that, they'll understand it. Yeah, They'll learn it and and they'll take grasp of it. And the thing is, is even if they don't start to believe in them, they'll believe what you're saying Yeah, and they will stick to it and hold you to it. Um, but I do think that we have to really reshape how we talk about healthcare with young people. Um, so they don't put it in a box because yeah. sometimes it's just wrapped up in a pretty box. We'll get to it when something is wrong. Right. And then we'll come back around and we need more peer to peer interactions. We need more peers talking about, oh, we're going to do this and we're all going to the doctor together and we all, we don't want to do it in tragedy times and trauma times, (laughs) but make it, you know, how do we make it fun? Yeah. How do we, how do we pull them in in an interesting way that catches their attention? Yeah. It strikes me that like we almost need a in-between role. Like you have the people that are providing the, Mm -hmm. you know, strict medical care and you have the people that need it, but you almost need like a liaison to like mm-hmm. break it down and and explain why it's important that they're thinking about this. Like mm-hmm. we said, to meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. um, that kind of in-between role. And I feel like speaking from personal experience, that role manifests itself first in like a, a middle school health class, Yeah, uh, which historically for, I'm assuming a lot of people yeah. is not usually... It's not a negative experience, mm-hmm. but it's not a positive one. Yeah. Like um, I grew up very... Christian, very conservative. Mm-hmm. And so health class, especially as it pertains to sexual health was like yeah. non-existent. Yeah. Uh, and so that can be really, you know, the opposite of empowering for mm-hmm. people. And so, yeah, what you're saying makes perfect, perfect sense that there's definitely a need to create a culture of, um, being proactive as opposed to reactive with yeah. health. Uh, yeah. when you're, <laughs> that phrase crosses my mind of like, young people think they're invincible, uh, mm-hmm. which I never liked because I was <laughs> yeah. like, I don't think that. Um, but getting, I guess, young people to view their health yeah. as investment mm. as opposed yes. to like a, you know, a waste of time or, or resource or whatever, however they might think be yeah. thinking about it. Um, yeah. But see, and, so yeah, now I'm just having flashbacks to like all like horrible no, middle school, but, high school mental health stuff. And it's, But you know what, Matt? That's why our health educators here are so important. Yeah, because they are that middle person, right? They are the folks, and we want to do more work. Yeah, like I, I want to, I want our outreach health educator teams to go into more spaces, come outside of the clinic areas, right? Go into Chicago public schools, go into alternative schools, go into go into private schools. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> right? perfect case for that. Yeah, city colleges, all of these places, right? And teach them, talk to them, and meet them. Because our folks, we could we can be able to have a conversation and have that conversation where we're like, okay, yeah, that's what you're thinking now. Can I give you education behind that? Support you, and then pull their attention, yeah. you know. And so I think that we're doing the work now. We just gotta expand, you gotta scale it. Yep, yep. And we we just gotta we gotta find a creative way to reel young people in to really get them to really get them involved in their own health care and their and having a health home. That's important. That's yeah. so important. Um, and so I, I think we are doing the work. It's just so much more we still have to do. Yeah. That's 
That's been the overarching theme for so many, you know, whether it's programs or, or services that we offer here that like, yeah. we can do it. We know what needs to be done and where that need is. We just have to scale it. Yeah. Like there's just always so much more work to be done, which is the the blessing and the curse of the kind of healthcare that we provide here at Howard yeah. Brown, where yeah. it's like invigorating to know that we have solutions to mm-hmm. a lot of these problems, yeah. but it's also a little daunting to know how much work still needs to be done. Um, I And I think to maybe put a bow on this or to kind of fan it out to people who may not be in either the healthcare field or be working with young people, I yeah. think we all uh, come into contact with young people or um, are around them at some point where we can be intentional about the way that we talk about our own health yeah. to make them understand mm-hmm. The way that they, you know, view their own health. Like I have two uh, nieces and nephew and another one on the way, and they're only ten and six, five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously not thinking about health at all. Yeah. Uh, but it's it it has crossed my mind of like, okay, they'll be entering. You know, they're in fourth grade right now, and that's when certain talks start happening. And it's like, yeah. how does how, you know their parents talk to them about yeah. that? How do I? You know, not that I would necessarily come up a conversation, but like there's always, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of responsibility as yeah. quote unquote adults uh, to model the way that things can be for yeah. kids. And so whether it's being honest with people or um, destigmatizing things is yeah. huge. We talk about that's another buzzword. I need to add them to the sound panel on this board <laughs> to be like destigmatization, uh, social determinants of health, whatever, all the things yeah. that we say. But that's a huge one to like normalize all of those things so yeah. that young people realize that not only can I talk about that, but there are resources to help me with it too. Yeah. So I don't know. This is a kind of broad episode, but I love it because I think it, like I said earlier, has ramifications for all of Howard Brown's programming and the way that we approach patients. So well, Matt, it's fun my to talk role about. is real broad here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess it fits. It fits. So it fits. But I, I think, um, I think you're spot on, you know, teaching at a young age. I mean, I have a four, I, I keep saying four year, I have a five year old mm-hmm. as of this past Saturday. And, you know, you do start early. Sometimes we don't think that we start early, but we do. Like yes. if he scrapes his knee and he's like crying and screaming, we let him get it all out, all mm-hmm. your emotions, let him out. Right. That's mental health. Don't stop him from crying. Right. right. Don't don't eliminate his emotions. Don't take away. Don't take that away from him. That's working on the mental. Right. And then when we go down and we're like, okay, you scraped your knee. How do you feel? That's still mental. We're still yeah. talking about your feelings. How are you thinking? What, you know, all of the above. Um, and then you may look down and you see blood. Oh my God, it's right. blood. Cool. Okay. So what do you think we need to do? We got to get it off. Okay. So we got to use certain things to get that off. We got to, you know, and so we are teaching them how to take care of themselves. The key is you have to be consistent. Yeah. You got to be consistent because if you stop, they lose interest yeah. and you don't want them to lose interest. You want them to be more intrigued. So that's why most times if my kid falls, he, it doesn't matter how many t- times he falls, he's going to always scream out, mommy, I mm-hmm. need a bandaid because that is now what he's accustomed to a conversation, me talking to him, calming him down, all of the above. And if we stop that, if I just say, since here, get up and shake it off it's all right right then i'm teaching him something opposite Mm. of how to take care of himself yeah Mm -hmm. i love that and that's perfect example i think to really like whittle it down to the core of how 
we try to interact with young people of, you know, somebody is facing something, we, you know, we address all aspects of it. We mm-hmm. talk through their emotions. Mm-hmm. We think practically about how to solve it. Yep. We, we give them <laughs> options for how to solve it. You want a yep. Band-Aid? You want to wipe it clean? You want to, mm-hmm. you know, how do you want to do this? Uh, and then we make it known that that kind of care and resource right. will continue to be there for them. Yep. So I, th- I like that. I normally ask, you know, what's a good moral to the story, but I like that as a little bow on it. Just yeah. the, the analogy of, you know, a scraped knee and being consistent in how we treat mm-hmm. it. So not to minimize the diverse, you know, problems <laughs> and, yeah. and, and situations that our young people at BYC have, uh, not analogous to a, a scraped knee in that way, but uh, yeah. I, think, I think people understand the point. So yeah. um, Dr. P, thank you so much for coming. I yeah. uh, will give my spiel, which is, I always say I'll have to have you back because um, I, and it sounds disingenuous, but it's not because it's <laughs> like, Every, genuinely every person I've interviewed at Howard Brown A has so much knowledge related to whatever field they're in yeah. and B um, there's just always so much to talk about so mm. um, with that said I'll have to have you back we can dive more into yes. into the nitty grittiness of this but <laughs> in the meantime thank you so much for the incredible Absolutely. work that you do for Howard Brown thank uh, you. and for juggling everything it's, it's so impressive so I appreciate you. you thank you so much man yeah. And that has been our episode with Dr. Paviel Foster about young people. If you are interested in the Broadway Youth Center, I will include a link to uh, its website in the description of this episode. We would also love to hear from you. There is a short survey in the episode description that goes into how we're doing here at Charting Queer Health. It's only a couple questions and we would love to know what we can improve on to continue bringing you uh, everything that you want. Thanks for listening. <laughs>